Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the London Bureau Chief at Global Capital. And I'm John Hay, the Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor. Um, hi, my name is Addison Gong and I cover SSAs at Global Capital. Morning, I'm Anna Fati and I cover corporate loans at Global Capital. And each week we bring you the very best of what the capital markets has to offer. Uh, it's December now, so it's the time of year that little boys and girls the world over look forward to with mounting excitement and expectation. And it is, of course, the time when German public sector entities announce their borrowing requirements for the year, isn't it, Addison? That's exciting. Yes, it's an exciting time for everybody in the, um, I guess, in my part of the world. Everybody's finalizing their plans. But I think this year there's an extra layer of, of excitement. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's the German sovereign, there's its development bank, KfW, which is one of the biggest issuers in the international bond markets. There are institutions that Germany guarantees. And of course, there's the uh, country's many federal states, too. Uh, and if that's not enough spice for your Pfefferdusse, then um, I don't know what is. But this year, uh, there's some doubt as to what they might announce, isn't there, Addison? And why is that? Yes, so I think um, the German, um, what they call the FCC, uh, we call the Germany Constitution Call, they kind of threw a curveball just a couple of weeks ago um, into this whole situation where they effectively was, uh, through a ruling, blocked about 60 billion um, of COVID era um, borrowings to one of the government's fund called Climate um, Transformation Fund, um, locally known as KTF. Um, so basically what they said is um, the COVID borrowing cannot be used under this fund to fund climate-related projects. Um, and that has basically created a hole in the German budget, which was set to be finalised last week. How big a hole? Um, so... The government has since cut a little bit of the funding elsewhere. So the finance minister said yesterday for next year, the whole, um, he's um, estimate is about 17 billion. So they managed to find some money, uh, find some money um, elsewhere. But originally when the court ruling came out, um, I think people were expecting 50 billion, five zero, um, as the size of the overall whole, but, whole, but the official number now is 17 billion um, in the 2024 budget. And this is because Germany is incredibly precise and careful about how, how about the government budget and the budgets of all public sector bodies, isn't it? And and sort of controls that very carefully. Yes, that's usually the case. But now, um, I guess that's why people do not appreciate these um, uncertainty at this time of year um, created by the recent situation. So, yeah, it's creating a lot of doubt um, and fear in the market. Was this money that Germany had to raise still uh, for this KTF fund or had the money already been borrowed and now it has to be deployed somewhere else? It, it should be the second case. Well, that is my understanding of the situation that it was borrowed um, under the COVID emergency. Um, so it was supposed to be fund COVID-related spending, but obviously they didn't use all the money they borrowed at time. So the government's initial plan was to repurpose those money for some other initiatives um, by the government. And now um, the court has ruled that is um, unconstitutional. Now, let's start at the top with the German sovereign. Um, the Finance Agentur is the institution uh, based just out, outside Frankfurt, which does 
uh, all of the borrowing for the sovereign. It's this debt management office. Uh, what have they said about what they expect this means for bond issuance next year? Um, so they are still saying there will be less bond issuance for next year compared to this year. Part of that uh, was probably because there were less maturities, so the um, initial volume expectations, even without this GCC ruling, will be lower anyways. And now with uh, potential government uh, consolidation in terms of the spending or in terms of the fiscal policy, um, the initial reaction is they that also leads to less borrowing from um, the DFA next year. But uh, another situation has since emerged with the Germany um, government, uh, German government um, suspending its debt break, uh, which effectively controls um, the budget deficit, uh, structural deficit to 0.35% of GDP. Um, so that is now on hold for this year. Um, and it is not yet clear whether that will be the case for next year as well. This debt break has been suspended in 2020, 2021 and 2022. Now it's suspended again for 2023 and likely for 2024 as well. Um, so that creates uncertainty whether um, it would actually lead to more borrowing next year without the debt, uh, debt break in place. But the German um, sovereign borrower confirmed to us that they are indeed at this point looking at lower issuance volume for next year. However, there is still um, about two weeks at least um, to uh, the official announcement um, from the borrower for the 2024 plan. And then I think the market um, is concerned and there's still a lot is in the air and the situation is developing daily. Um, so yeah, they're just... Why is Germany thinking of suspending its debt break again? Because this is a measure that it's only really supposed to do in emergency. Uh, what's, what's the emergency in Germany at the moment? Uh, the emergency is uh, these off-budget spending can no longer be spending off-budget. So now it's part of, if it's moved um, to part of the core budget, then it means that they will be breaking that 0.35%. Is this part of the constitutional court ruling? So just to get this straight, the constitutional court ruling means that some of the government spending can't be done as a sort of special off-budget item, which they were using the COVID-allocated money for, but instead has to be part of the core budget. And that's why they've decided for 2023 to suspend the debt break, meaning they can borrow a bit more than 0.35% of GDP. And the question now is whether they will suspend it again for 2024 um, which we don't know yet, but would obviously mean they could borrow a bit more. Okay, and what about other German SSA borrowers? Uh, this affects KFW, or it might affect KFW, mightn't it? Which has, uh, which this year borrowed 90 billion euros from the bond market, and that's a, that's a heck of a borrowing program. Yes, I think this is uh, their largest program to date. Um, the K- uh, KFW, the situation is they are due to announce their um, annual program for 2024 next week, next Thursday. Um, the market has the market thought they had a good idea of what KFW would do next year, but now again the situation is very unclear. Some were expecting a bit less program, um, less um, a bit of a smaller program from KFW because um, some of its loan programs would have been affected by what's going on with the GCC ruling and subsequently what's happening to the German budget as the budget is being reworked. Um, but others are potentially saying KFW might have to take on more borrowings um, to help out effectively um, to help the government weather um, um, its budget situation next year. Um, It's unclear what KFW can and cannot do and the extent of the um, 
impact on this borrowing program next year. Um, but some people are expecting um, potentially KFW could announce a program of 90 to 95 billion, um, while the, the official number being controlled within 100 billion. But the original expectation is maybe it was something around 80 to 85 billion. Although there are some in the market also expecting a smaller program, like I said. So yeah, a lot is also in the air with KFW, um, but I guess we'll know within a week's time what yeah, they're going to okay. do. And then people are saying also it's an indication of the government stance, um, what KFW would announce as well. Um, so yeah, it's something that um, is being closely watched. So they're sort of talking about if if, if, German, if the German sovereign does a bit less, then uh, KFW will take up some of that slack. That's the sort of basic dynamic, right? Yeah, although um, we might need to talk to some legal expert on this as well, because there is doubts that whether legally KFW can do that um, without that being considered part of the government budget anyway. So, but yeah, again, there is a lot of... Um, things that are uncertain with the situation, but in general, I think more people are expecting more borrowing from KFW um, than perhaps a little less than what people had been expecting. And is there anyone, Addison, who's pleased about this ruling in the capital markets? Yes, yeah, so there is a German agency called EAA, and they have been gradually paying off debts from taking over some bad banks after the financial crisis. And this bank, um, this issuer is protected under a fund called the Financial Market St Stabilization Fund. And basically the recent court ruling has made sure that money under this fund will be used exclusively under this fund as well. So that is a good news for issuer like EAA. The other big part of the German public sector bond market is the Lander or the, the individual German federal states. How does this affect them? I think they affect um, them in a couple of different ways. Um, some of the um, states would have had projects set up or project to be completed um, that will be subsidized by this KTF um, that's been affected by the GCC ruling. So now the expectation is that some of the subsidies may not be there for the local project, um, climate related project to be completed. And that will mean the state government will have to effectively finding uh, the money elsewhere. Um, so that's one headache. Uh, and the bigger, potentially bigger impact is some of the states has done exactly what the federal states or the German government has done, is that they set up special funds over the past couple of years through, um, to, to combat different emergencies. And they have similarly used some of those funds um, for other purposes um, since. Um, so they will also be affected by the recent ruling. But again, it is not clear um, the extent of the impact for individual states because um, the situation is different with each state. The couple of states that we actually talked to are not expecting any major direct impacts, but others have had to declare a budget emergency. So Anna, um, this week you've been writing about the loan market as usual, and in particular, a trend you've noticed that people are telling you about in the, the size of the syndicates that companies are using, the syndicate being the group of banks that provides their major loans. What's going on? Bankers have been saying that their client lists have been thinning in the past year or so. And in general, they're becoming more selective in choosing who they're lending to. Um, so there's definitely a bigger turnover in banking groups overall that they're seeing. So some of them are deciding when when the company comes to refinance its loan that that they don't the bank doesn't want to carry on 
lending to the same company. Exactly. There's a combination of borrowers trying to have smaller syndicates, but also banks occasionally stepping out of deals um, when it comes to refinancing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I mean, the loan market is one where uh, typically the banks are sort of spreading their favours around to, uh, you know, do sort of what are generally speaking loss making loans in the hope of winning uh, profitable business elsewhere with the client later on. Uh, meanwhile, you would think that a company, especially uh, in an era of rising rates and presumably tougher credit conditions, would want to borrow from as many banks as, as possible. So, so why are these syndicates reducing in size? Okay, as far as banks are concerned, there's an increased focus on profitability uh, that stems from the need to navigate heightened capital requirements as well as uh, higher funding costs and a bigger desire in general for improved returns. Uh, and this focus prompts continual client relationship management where uh, unprofitable relationships are not sustained over extended periods. So the evolving landscape sees banks consistently reviewing and adjusting their strategies to ensure they maintain profitable lending relationships. And there was a big example reported this week by the Financial Times about Barclays, which uh, the FT said were considering, they haven't decided yet, but cutting about 2,500 client relationships in their investment bank. And that um, that's out of like more than 10,000 in total, but they were basically cut the least profitable relationships. Now, um, that sounds a sort of bit of a shocking thing to do, doesn't it? Sort of tell your clients, well, we've loved you up to now, but uh, you're not really very profitable. So uh, bye bye. What, I mean, is this a conversation that banks are actually willing to have with companies? Yes, I think they're having these conversations because they understand they need to be pragmatic about their relationships and the borrowers are also understanding that part of, of the relationship. So how does it look from the borrower's point of view? As, as Ralph said earlier, I mean, one might think that, you know, the more banks, the better for a company. But is that is that the way they see it? I think from a corporate perspective, they're also trying to fine tune the group and their relationship to the banks because it all depends on their liquidity needs as well. So if the backup or liquidity needs are about the same, then they might be striving to somewhat reduce the relationship or the of the group or, you know, find find new relationships depending on where the banks are situated as well. For example, someone was saying to me that Nordic banks are now increasingly seeing um, the need for less regional banks coming in the syndicates and more international banks as the companies grow. Um, so I think they're just trying to readjust and accommodate. But ultimately, as the banker was saying, the cake is being divided between less parties. So this is a good thing for both borrowers and lenders. Why is that a good thing for the borrower if they're dividing the cake between fewer banks? Borrowers are also recognizing the need to adequately compensate the relationship with the banks. Uh, so if they can't give them ancillary services, you know, beyond lending, such as M&A opportunities or cash management, uh, I think as a result, they're streamlining, streamlining sorry, their group of relationships to banks to ensure that they can meet their liquidity needs. Do we have any particular examples of uh, syndicates that have been trimmed in, in recent corporate loans? One example a banker mentioned was BMW this year, where they had two almost identical loans. But for the second loan, they've seen uh, an incre a decrease in, um, in the banks, where two banks stepped out of the syndication. 
So we've talked about why profitability could be a reason for banks to want to cut certain loan relationships and also why the, the companies also understand that from their point of view as well. And they want the loans to be profitable for the banks, too. And sometimes that mean it can be easier to manage when you've got seven banks instead of eight. But are there any other reasons why banks are kind of rethinking some of their relationships at the moment? Definitely. I think one of the biggest one is the climate aspect of things and ESG in general, where ESG considerations have emerged as significant factors in credit decisions. So some banks are aiming to reduce exposure to more dirty sectors, troubled sectors with certain institution limiting or completely stopping their relationship with such industries um, like the French banks. We're seeing that very clearly. A recent survey by the ECB also showed that climate related risks are expected to influence both loan demand and credit accessibility in the future. So this will definitely be a big criteria when when banks choose to go for a syndication or not. So basically, when you know some of them are deciding that to meet their climate targets, certain relationships have to go. And, you know, those relationships will be picked up by other banks, I suppose. Exactly. Or, you know, maybe we'll reach a better future where no banks will will want to do that in general. I wouldn't hold your breath. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if uh, this, this trend, though, a smaller syndicate, it, it's interesting that it's tied in with a year where uh, loans bankers have been grumbling at us all year about the low volumes and when there's been so little uh, M&A activity. Do we think this is a sort of secular change in the way banks approach their business or do we think we'll just see bigger syndicates uh, return once M&A activity picks up a bit and there's more lending to be done? I think one of the bankers was also saying that, you know, there's a limit to how selective you can be because the volumes have been so low. So you don't know what's you know, what's next on the pipeline. Um, so I think it's just about striking the right balance. But as I said, it could be both beneficial for borrowers and lenders. So maybe ultimately it would still be a positive change for them. And what do we think will happen with this trend next year? I think based on what bankers have been saying, it will definitely stay for a while. And, you know, one of them was saying that they they are talking about a few transactions going into Q1 of next year, where this is a big part of their considerations. So I think we will be seeing more of this uh, trend. Be sure to check back with globalcapital.com to see how Germany's SSA borrowers fix their funding needs for 2024. And join us next week when our US Bureau Chief and Latin America correspondent Oliver West will be joining us to talk about the Latin bond market. It only remains for me to thank John, Anna and Addison for joining me for this edition of the Global Capital Podcast and to thank you most of all for listening. We'll be back with more next week. So thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.